Welcome to the Nightmare of Reason podcast with Roger Rudenstein. I'm Roger Rudenstein, and today I'll be going over my feelings about a movie called Tar. Tar is a very interesting movie. It appears to be an Oscar nominee, and Kate Blanchett also won the Golden Globes Award for Best Actress. And um, I'll say right away that it is a movie definitely worth watching. I'm not going to give away the whole plot. So this is not a spoiler-type review at all. Uh, what I'm concerned with more is the a point of the movie, which was to show a woman conductor and show the kind of world she lives in and how the power that she was given in that milieu, in the symphony orchestra milieu, let us say, gave her just enough power to get in trouble, just like many men have already, like Harvey Weinstein and, of course, many others. A well-known female conductor, Marin Alsop, has uh, complained that this movie is anti-woman, and she bases this on the fact that here they are finally showing a woman in power, especially in the symphonic world, and she does bad things. I disagree with that, but I do agree with some of her point, which is that if they're going to finally do a movie about a woman conductor, how come it's a woman conductor is a bad person, basically? Of course, she's not totally a bad person. In fact, she's a very admirable person in many ways. She's very knowledgeable. She says a lot of interesting things, and that's one of the things that made this movie very worthwhile for me. And theoretically, the movie would show a bunch of classical music, including modern classical music, for which this woman, Tar, was not just a conductor, but a composer also. But that posed a bunch of problems for this movie, because it seems like the people who made this movie realized one important thing, which is that their audience didn't really want to hear classical music. Oh, yes, they would tolerate and, and listen to, maybe even enjoy to some extent, the background classical music that goes on in most movies that heightens the emotional feeling of the movie. And that's why it's so often modern classical. But this movie actually dealt with an orchestra playing classical music as part of the plot. And you can see their concern about this in that they don't play any of that music for more than a few seconds. It's really weird. The whole thing revolves around the idea that this composer, Lydia Tarr, is going to record with her orchestra yet another Mahler symphony cycle. The Mahler symphonies have been recorded over and over again. They're not for everyone. I don't like them in particular. I've tried to enjoy them. I really hate them, to tell you the truth. To me, Mahler is better represented by Dirk Knaben Wunderhorn song cycle and other songs that he wrote, which are really beautiful and interesting. And I suggest that even if you don't like Mahler, based on the symphonies, you take a look at those songs, particularly Knaben Wunderhorn song cycle. It's very rewarding. But none of that, of course, is in it. It's just some three-second excerpts from the Fifth Symphony which he's working on as part of this cycle. Now, the fact is, these symphonies have been recorded about a gazillion times. And this reflects one of the big problems in classical music today, which is classical music stops at a certain point. Different audiences, different people think the point in time where it stopped for them is different. Some people go after Mahler, it's no good. Some after Richard Strauss, some after Beethoven, some really... After Mozart, 
But the fact is, it's frozen in time, and it's not a viable modern enterprise. It's a thing of the past, belongs in a uh, symphonic museum. Let's put it that way. And this thing really reflects it. Yet another Mahler cycle. There's been millions of these things, like the Beethoven symphonies, millions of recordings of them. Because let's face it, people in the profession are faced with a choice. Are they going to embrace modern classical music? and produce right up to the date stuff that's been composed? Or are they just going to concentrate on the really good stuff from the past? As I say in my last podcast, Classical Music Part 3, which deals with the commercialization of music and why modern classical music is so bad, that's a big problem. And you can hardly blame them for doing it because you're not going to get an audience or a bunch of record buyers for modern classical music. Most of it stinks. And the ones that don't stink, like I believe mine doesn't, it's very hard to bring that to the attention of people who are stuck in this cycle that every time they listen to modern classical music, they hate it. So they don't really want to listen to yours. And that's the big problem. I think that's the biggest problem, as I stated in that last podcast, that if good modern classical music were available and promoted, instead of mixed in with this horrible stuff, that would go a long way to making classical music viable again and a living art rather than a museum of classical music. So that reflects itself in the movie. Uh, obviously, the people who made the film didn't want people to hear much of the music, which is pretty freaking weird. You won't find that with anything else. Imagine a movie on pop music, like on the Beatles. You think they'd only play three seconds of the Beatles? They wouldn't get away with it. People would say, what the hell is this thing? But in a movie that has some modern classical music, or even regular classical music, the Mahler, they do that. They not only get away with it, but probably most of the audience that's watching it is relieved that they don't go any further with this music, that they just have a few seconds of nice-sounding stuff. Although the modern classical music that they're playing in this movie is not nice, and three seconds of it is even too much. One thing about Tar, she says a lot of stuff about classical music. Oh, which is very interesting because she knows a lot about it. She talks about the fact that Lully, Jean-Baptiste Lully, early Baroque conductor, used to conduct things with a staff that he would bang against the floor. And one time he, he banged a little too hard. He hit his own foot and he died of gangrene. And he's not the only one. Wagner mentioned Spontini, who was also a conductor and a composer in the 19th century, who still had this practice as a conductor. He would be banging a staff on the floor. I can imagine what a concert like that is like. So she comes up with that. She also comes up with real trendy stuff like, oh, I went to the Amazon and I learned so much from the people doing the music there. Not that music of indigenous people is worthless. As folk music, it's very worthwhile, or can be anyway. I don't know about the music of the Amazon, but the point is a composer who understands music to try to make believe that this is somehow influencing her music. When she plays her music, it has nothing in common with indigenous-type music. It's ridiculous and trendy. The trendy thing that she does in this movie is, she's, oh, we got to release this Mahler cycle on the vinyl. There, there, that's one of the big uh, bugaboos to me. I listen to hours and hours of music on vinyl when vinyl was the only thing you could get. And I suffered so much from that. Snaps, crackles, and pops, no matter how much I try. I bought these 
gadgets that were supposed to remove it and wipe the record. Sometimes you even put the record in the water and, and some gunk on it to, to suppress the snaps, crackles, and pops. They don't go away. And so at a critical moment, and the beauty of the music is totally ruined by the snap, crackle, and pop on those vinyl records. Horrible. In fact, I went to an upscale stereo place where they were selling loudspeakers for $30,000 each and amplifiers that cost fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. And the guy wants to show me this, and he puts a record on of Stravinsky's Ride of String, not my, one of my favorites. I can listen to it. And all it did was snap, crackle, and pop. Who the hell wants to listen to that? And then when digital came along, I, I said, oh, my God, this is it. No snap, crackle, and pop. And, but of course, to be trendy, all these characters would go around saying, oh, vinyl, it sounded so much better. Maybe to their ears, because they got so used to it, it totally distorted the music, not just the snap, crackle, and pop. Those records often simply distorted the music, and they got used to that, but that doesn't make it good. That's sort of nostalgia. That's a nostalgia thing, like uh, mac and cheese. One of the good things in the movie is she's doing a guest lecture class at Juilliard for conductors. And this guy gets up and he does a modern piece. He conducts a modern classical piece, horrible piece, idiotic and poorly done. But, but of course, we only get to hear five seconds of it. So I guess I shouldn't judge the piece on five seconds, but it was not a very good five seconds. And then she says, why don't you consider conducting Bach? And he said, no, I can't do that. Bach's a cisgender straight guy, and I don't even listen to his music. So she went and played some beautiful Bach on the piano, and she invited him to tell her what the problem was. The guy got so mad that he called her a bitch and left the class. The point she was making was, you can't judge anything based on who the person was who did it. You have to base your opinion on it by what it is, what the work is like. One of the interesting things is one of the things they play more than a few seconds of is Elgar's uh, cello concerto, which is nice. Elgar had a good feel for the cello. And although, in general, Elgar's music is nothing that excites me very much, I thought some of the cello passages were quite beautiful. And they actually did more than five seconds of that because they knew here's something everybody can relate to. It's not a very daring thing to do. It's an old chestnut, especially in England. She also plays an excerpt from Leonard Bernstein's TV show. She's watching that, and that was fascinating. Bernstein actually was given the opportunity to do an educational series on primetime TV, and he did a beautiful series of stuff. He knew about music, and his whole point was to convince people of the viability of classical music, the importance of it, and to show them things about classical music. And he said some very wise things, as I remember. And one of the things that he said when she's playing in the movie, is he says, yes, classical music can produce moods like joyful or unhappy or sad. He said, but very often when it's done right, you can't put your finger on what it's saying. It just doesn't fall into any of those categories. It's very complex. It falls into something that you can't exactly define, but can affect your life very deeply. And that's a truth that I found in my listening to music, composing music, and when I hear good music. And I use that as a criteria for good music. 
If it doesn't do that, then I don't consider it great music. It may be entertaining music, but it's not the best music. It's not the great music. So Bernstein, in two seconds, put his finger on that. And this was a long time ago, I think in the late 50s. There's nothing like that today. Can you imagine that on TV today? A whole series on music by someone like Bernstein? No. And that shows how far we've come, which is to say we've gone backwards. I guess that's enough for this podcast. Please stay safe, and I will see you the next time around. And we'll end with uh, some more of my music. Bye. Thank you.